So if you think you're a good presenter, well, then push harder, push further, become a better speaker. You need to push yourself further in your areas of, of, of greatness. Welcome to the Tales from the Treehouse podcast. This show is powered by Missing Link, who has been saving the world one board audience at a time. So if you are looking for extraordinary results, then you have come to the right place because we are about to take you on a journey of leadership that will rock your world. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Welcome. This to is this is Tales way harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> That's what she said. Tales from <laughs> Next one's not going to be the same. <laughs> Well, welcome back to we another go. edition <laughs> of the Tales from the Treehouse tree podcast, powered by Missing Link. So today we're going to talk about the importance of training for leaders. And I think it's interesting, you know, in the context of leadership specifically, because I think we underestimate the importance of training. And there's a bit of a backstory to this. I'm going to start with you, Rich. Let's talk about the Lamborghini kid story. Yeah. So I remember, ah, oh, jeez, I was... In fact, you'll probably remember it was a number of years ago, maybe four or five years ago. And um, there was this kid. He was a, he worked for an organization somewhere around the Ramberg area. And he was on a sales drive, a sales commission. And the idea was whichever person sold the most photocopiers or whatever it was that, that, that month got to drive a Lamborghini for the weekend. And this 18-year-old kid wins it. So this 18-year-old kid wins the Lambo. Everything's very, very exciting. So what happened was uh, the kid gets it and he gets all excited and he goes and he meets his friends on the Friday night. They go to Billy the Bums, have a few babies, and the kid jumps into the Lamborghini and he starts bombing down Vidkoppen and he opens the car up. He's going over 200 k's an hour. And then he came over the ridge and there was a truck driving in front of him that had its lights broken. The kid went in and pancaked the car completely. Tragically, the child died. Now, here was the thing that I felt that was important is that these guys went out and they gave an 18-year-old this advanced car there's a highly evolved vehicle like there was like a, a supercar but they didn't give him any training on how to drive it and i think that that's a real real problem and what we realized years ago at missing link is that we were taking these people who were used to uh, a really shitty bad powerpoint with lots of bullet points everything was laid out on the slide for you you didn't have to think you basically had to recite or read and we were turning around and saying, no, 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 let's fix this up. We were creating these amazing slide decks with phenomenal pictures at just the right time transitioning and all of these things. But we weren't training the guy because the guy already knew how to present. And so I always said it was very analogous to what we were doing is that we had taken a person who's used to driving a little shitty, you know, Uno, and then we were putting them in a Lamborghini and we were expecting them to know how to behave and what to do. But of course, that wasn't the reality. And it was like, it is like a bomb that what we had to do is to change our mindset that it wasn't enough to give somebody a better presentation deck. If you wanted them to have a better presentation, you had to train them how to use that deck, how to stand up in front of an audience and to really level up. I suppose for me, that's like parrot speak. You know, when you get those keynote speakers that stand up and it's almost like they don't need the slides. They're almost just, you know, regurgitating what they know is in the deck and they're not actually becoming better speakers, if that makes sense. Right. Repeating something isn't improving it. You know, we spoke about this, I think, in episode one. Uh, if you're just typing every day and, uh, you know, every single day you type and you look down and you say, I'm a great typist. Well, you know, five years later, you're not typing more words per minute. And it's exactly the same with speaking. We often go to, to these CEOs and we're working with executives and they'll say, I, oh, you know, I speak a lot. I'm very good at this. And I said to them, well, which one is it? Do you speak a lot or, or are you very good at it? Sometimes they're together, but they're certainly not mutually exclusive. Like it's very, very, it's very possible that you may speak a lot and not be good at something. And it's so funny. Often we can say, 
say, well, if you want to, we can ask your subordinates if you need presentation training. Or they asked us to come here to discuss this in the first place. You know, you need to work on this. So we mustn't confuse repetition with improvement. Kevin, why don't you introduce yourself? It's your first time on the podcast. So. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kevin. I like long walks on the beach. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I'm. <don't>. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm just the head trainer here at Missing Link. Okay. So what have you observed, you know, picking up on Rich's point here on, you know, driving Lamborghinis versus, hey, I'm only used to, you know, driving a shitty little Uno. I mean, why is training important and what have you observed uh, in the process of training? Well, the training is absolutely imperative for leaders, not only the leaders, but actually the people in the company. And we send out a little form that lets people uh, rate themselves on how good they think they are as a speaker. And we get to see this before they, I, they come in and I train them. And the best thing is that everyone rates themselves higher than what they actually are. Dunning-Kroger effect. Yeah. A what? The Dunning-Kroger effect says that um, if you go and ask the top speaker in the world, I mean, race car driver, whatever, if you go ask the top race car driver in the world, how do you rate yourself out of 10? They would say, sure, you know, um, yeah, I think I'm a strong, confident eight. But if you go ask somebody who is not very good how they are, they'll rate themselves, you know, maybe an eight or a nine as well. And the Dunning-Kroger effect basically says that somebody who's very, very good, a true master at something, almost always rates themselves as worse than they are. But somebody who's not good at something almost always rates themselves as better. So we might rate ourselves, if I asked you, how are you as a driver of a car? You might rate yourself as a seven. But if I went and asked David Coulthard how he is driving a car, he might only rate himself as an eight. And that assumes that you're, he's only one point better at driving than you are, which of course is absurd. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just really funny because when I get into the training and we have the present backs at the end of the day, we see what they really are, which is more or less around the threes and fours. But the, the best part of my day is watching that realization of when you're explaining a specific topic or point to them going, oh, that makes so much sense. And I can absolutely use this going forward in my business and how I speak. Well, right, because they don't know what they don't know. So if mm. they're gauging themselves on the standard death by PowerPoint, terrible, bad presentation, and they look and they say, well, PowerPoint presentation is very, very bad normally. So we're normally at a, you know, if everybody in the world is a three out of 10, and I'm also a three out of 10, therefore, I'm, you know, pretty up there. Therefore, I am a seven out of 10. But hmm. when they come through the training, they start realizing all the things they didn't know about the art of presenting. And then they realize how much room they have for improvement. And they get excited about that journey, also because it's achievable. Do we need to rethink learning in the context of leadership entirely? Well, I think people think that they've learned enough. And they're okay with that, which is such a bad place to be. I, I try my very best to learn at least one new thing every day. Um, but it's also a case of trying to learn things that are going to help you grow. And the first part of uh, wanting to learn is about identifying what it is that you need to fix. Uh, and when most people think that they don't need to do it, that's a problem. I suppose it's like being 18 again, right? <laughs> yeah, I was the sure. smartest dude when I was 18. No, I you knew were. everything. <laughs> I knew so much. I, I knew all the big words. It's true. Really? Like what? <laughs> like Pythagoras. Pythagoras. One of the biggest, one of the kind of, I guess, core values that we have at Missing Link is the phrase, good enough isn't. Uh, and for a lot of our clients, when it comes to public speaking, good enough is. And that is because they're measuring themselves against the standard. 
But this is like saying if you work in a post office and the service at all post offices is bad. So you measure yourself at how well you deliver against a post office. Well, you're never going to improve and you're never going to move the needle. But if you're sitting at, at uh, working at a post office one day and you visit a Four Seasons hotel and you start saying, hey, what if I just rather measured myself against how these people deliver service? Then you're going to move the needle and you're going to push yourself further. So the key is that these CEOs who think they're good, they might be looking at their subordinates or their peers and saying, well, I'm good enough. And we want to challenge you that if you truly want to be a leader, then you have to, to take the lead. And the way to do that is to measure yourself as the, against the best in that discipline that you can find. Around the world. Right, around the world. So if you're starting around and saying, I'm doing a presentation as a CEO at my upcoming conference. And I want to do, it's important, right? Because if you're the CEO of, at a conference, this is the one chance you get to move the needle of your organization, to really, really sit down with everybody and to make sure that they buy into something. And I promise not to say move the needle again in this, in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the one chance you have, you get to make a serious change. But you're like, oh, well, I'm good enough. But if you instead turn around and said, okay, in next week, I'm going to stand in front of this group of people and I'm going to deliver a presentation and I know that it's important. So let me look around and watch maybe 10 TED Talks or watch, you know, just find great presentations online, greatest speeches of all time. And if you turn around and pick your, your favorite three of those and you say, right, that is my benchmark and I'm going to benchmark how I deliver against them. And even if they, those for you are an eight or a nine and you then, when benchmarked against them, find yourself at a five or six. If you show up on the day and you push to a seven, that's better. Her job is to try and bring, you know, bridge the benchmark gap to make the gap between you and the greatest speaker you know smaller. And that's why I think training is so important. Why do you think leaders settle for good enough? Because it's work, right? Learning is work. Trying to get better is work and work equals time. And uh, most people always say they don't have time. They don't have time to train. They don't have time to read. They don't have time to do whatever. But it's, it's, a, it's a shitty excuse. You need to make the time to be able to, to make that happen. Right. There's a, the other problem is that generally what we do is we find what we're good at and we make ourselves better at that. Mm. So if you're like a mediocre speaker, but you know you're not going to be great, you don't want to spend energy on pushing yourself further because you're going to spend all that effort to still just be mediocre in your mindset. Although we believe that something like public speaking is a teachable skill. Like you can make people into great speakers with enough work, time, effort, and commitment and desire. But for them, they're saying, well, I'm a really, really great CA or accountant or business mind. So let me rather focus on that than focusing on the presentation training and learning component. Uh, whereas I feel that no, see this as a tool in your toolbox of becoming that better leader. That desire is massive. You talk about the commitment and the time and uh, the energy, but it, desire is huge. If they don't want to do it, they, I mean, they're not going to do it. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I guess we. I guess what I've found is a lot of leaders tend to stop wanting to improve because they think that they will never be the best at something. Do you know what I mean? So it's like I call it the Billy Mitchell syndrome. Okay. So Billy Mitchell was a guy. He was dominated by a question, and his question was, "Where is the end of the Pac-Man game?" I'm Billy Mitchell, video game player of the century. I did the world's first perfect score on Pac-Man: three million three hundred thirty-three thousand three hundred sixty. Ooh, it's exhausting to just say it. I began in the competitive world of pinball. It moved to Donkey Kong. But the greatest level of competition at the moment was Pac-Man. If I was going to be the best, I had to be the best at the game that was everywhere. So in 1999, I sent out a press release. I was as cocky as could be. They said, there's been 10 billion games played. How are you going to do it? I says, because I'm Billy Mitchell. 
you start off on the first board, but on board 21, that's where it reaches maximum difficulty. You have to navigate all the way to board 255, doing the same repetitive thing. You can't miss a dot, a prize, a blue man. You can't die once. You can't lose focus. You gotta stay with it all the way there, four to five hours. You have to take a corner down to 1 60th of a second in order to create perfect timing. And keep your eye right here, right here. You have to do that over 29,000 times without making any mistakes in dying. You play 255 boards. On 256, there's enough memory left in the game for the left half of the board and not the right half. The right half is filled with computer garble, anything and everything that is not Pac-Man, different walls, different dots. That's what a perfect score is. The moment that score went up there, I thought, wow, I achieved perfection. You get to the end, there's nothing to do but die. There was nothing saying congratulations. There was nothing saying the end, game over, nothing. The designer of Pac-Man, not only did he never think anyone would get to the end, he didn't know where the end was. He didn't know at what point the game would run out of memory. Everything to him is completely baffling. They never saw the split screen until I sent it to them. Masaya Nakamoto, who's the godfather of video games. He crowned me video game player of the century for that and all the previous achievements. When you think about that story, it's like, well, so fucking what? Because it's relative. Like, who really cares about where the end of Pac-Man, the game well, is, right? he did, right? right? He exactly, had the he cared. Right. And I guess this is the point I'm trying to land here. It's like, you have to start caring about improving yourself to become a better leader, right? Yes. Right. And the other problem is that once you're in charge, you think that, well, we've not got margin left to learn, but I think that's the exact opposite opinion, is that when you're in charge, uh, you just open up a huge window of learning. The reason is the leader of the business is the, is the primary teacher of the business. Right? So if you're in charge of a business, you're responsible for teaching that business. So you can never let the business be limited by your own levels of knowledge. Also, you know, there's a great quote, I think it's in Extreme Ownership, where they say, um, actually, that quote says exactly the opposite of what I'm going to say. <laughs> that quote says, it's not what you demonstrate, it's what you tolerate, which is a great quote. But as a leader, if you are you not, not making, tolerate yourself being shit. Right. But if, well, if you do tolerate the fact that if you stand up there and yeah. you deliver a mediocre presentation, and I'm using presentation because that's our space, but anything. But if you stand up there and you deliver a mediocre, barely effective presentation, uh, presentation uh you know then you're telling the rest of your leadership team that leadership team that that's okay and that's a problem and the other thing is though the, the real problem is the emperor's new clothes effect is that when the leader comes off stage everyone he walks up to his team and says hey how did i do they they lie right so everybody who's told you that your presentation keynote that you delivered on that stage everybody of your team came up and said oh that was absolutely amazing they're lying Right, that's like the effect of you know whether when you ask a, a guy how many girls he shagged and a woman how many you know the woman will always say two less and the guy will always say two more. Right, your staff when they tell you how good you are at presenting, they're always giving you two more points. Kev, how good was I at presenting? <laughs> Pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how it's done. <laughs> so basically, I, I guess in my view, like people hate going to training. It's like, oh shit, I've got to go to training day today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, why is that? And you'll be careful. Well, I mean, most training is relatively boring because uh, you get into a room that's dimly lit, you get a, a pamphlet of notes in front of you that's what you're learning is, and then someone basically just reads through it. And people don't learn that way. The best way people learn is by taking their own notes and doing uh, it themselves. And that's why with our training, we try to get people as involved as possible. 
asking them questions, getting them to do actions, making sure that they are involved in the creation of their story as possible. Because too often people just open up PowerPoint and start their story there. And that's probably the one of the worst places to start with your story. Why is that though? Well, when you don't, uh, we, we like to call it the, the cake, uh, building a cake. If you start with the sponge and you're putting in bad ingredients and uh, basically the sponge that you've created is bad and then you case it with this delicious looking icing, the cake in it's still bad. Even though it looks great, it's still the main core point of that story is still bad. So we like to focus on the creation of the story first before we put the icing on because anyone can make a presentation look good. It's how you make it sound good. Yeah, I mean, basically, you got to kill boredom, right? Yes, absolutely. So how do you kill boring? I mean, what are the kind of like, if you were to say, here's three absolute must-dos and three definitely don't-dos, what would they be? (laughs) Well, one definite don't-do is read what's on your slides. But there's two sides to this coin because, yes, you need to read a quote so that everyone is on the same page. But you can't read everything that you're going to say verbatim from your slides. Because either people are reading what you're saying and not listening to you. Wait, what do you mean? When people are sitting together uh, and you're presenting and you've got everything that you're about to say in your speech written on your slides behind you. All right. So, so my rule on words on a slide is if it's on the slide and you've written it there, you mm. must read it verbatim yes. before you do anything else. If that means, oh, no, no, but I'll be reading too much, put less words on the slide. Because the instant you go to a slide, right, the instant you click over to a slide, everyone's attention is now moved from you to the screen, and they're going to consume all the available information you have for them there. So if it's just one quote, as Kevin said, then by all means, read it with them. You know, uh, we are blah, 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 blah. And then once you've all read it together, then when you carry on speaking, they're no longer staring at the screen because there's nothing left to see here. They come back to you. You've used the screen to set the premise and they're back to you. But it's a great litmus test because if you wouldn't be comfortable literally turning around to the screen and reading everything you have on there before you look back at your audience, then you've got too much text on the screen. Definitely. As I said earlier, start outside of PowerPoint. Start creating your story there because PowerPoint has a very linear way of thinking. And creating a story beforehand, uh, before you get into PowerPoint, is a much better way to get that story as best as possible. Another great one is practice. Remember to practice and practice out loud. Once you've spoken your speech through, you can see where your faults are, especially recording yourself because you can see how you've done and you are your best critic. For me, I would say as well, when you're starting outside PowerPoint, which I totally agree with, the first thing to do is to write the 30-second version of your presentation. Right, So we always have four steps to every presentation. Give them a reason to care, give them a reason to believe, tell them what they need to know, tell them what they need to do. The first version of the presentation I want you to write is uh, give them a reason to care, tell them what they need to do. You should care about this, therefore you should do that. And then work out what you're delivering. And then your job in a presentation is not... The, the problem with presentations, people start at A and then they fill out the content until they get to Z. What they need to do is they need to start with A and Z. And then when they're putting the presentation, they've got to fill in the gaps along the way, pushing A and Z further apart until it's reached the perfect distance, right? That's the perfect length. But when you start with A and Z, then you're always, when you're looking to put content in the middle there, you're always thinking, yo, does this fit the narrative? Will this help me get along the journey? Or am I taking them on too far a deviant path? 
So, and it's so easy. You literally draw on a piece of paper the beginning and you write on a piece of paper at the end, like on a post-it note, and you draw a linear line. And as you're adding content in between, you turn around and say, you know, how far off track am I taking them? And you start pushing it there and then you work out, can I pull it on track? And it helps you prepare your content. For me, you should have done your first rehearsal with your content perfectly before you make your first slide. And the reason for that is when you're uh, going through your story in your head and you thought you wanted a picture of a campfire and you tell the story in your head and you know that there's a picture of a campfire here and you're saying it out loud when you're driving, best place to present, best place to practice when you're driving in your car, speaking out loud and you're driving away and you're talking and you're telling the story of the campfire and then you realize actually it's a story about ghost stories. Um, the campfire was interesting, but the picture of a ghost book would, be, would have been so much better. Then you're not going back and changing all your slides and all these things. You're simply saying, ah, when I make these slides, I'm going to tell the story about the ghost story. Therefore, that's a better image to have. But when you're writing it up front, it doesn't make sense. So you always want to rehearse your whole presentation before you start working through your visuals. Often people get a slot to present in. So say you need to deliver 45 minutes. But sometimes you may need more or you may need less because you don't want to keep on beating that dead horse repeat. If, if you've got a solid message you need to deliver uh, and you can get that right in 30 minutes, then that's just a discussion with the people who you're either part of the conference or in a meeting or whatever it is to just make sure that you get the right uh, timing for what you're trying to do. Because we could carry on speaking and speaking and speaking and waffle and just extra stuff. This goes back to the Your Conference Sucks episode. If you look at a conference schedule and every presentation uh, is the same length, your conference is broken. Because what you're saying is that we, we give the same amount of attention to hearing about the CEO's new vision as we do to hearing about our new marketing campaign or the new uh, uh, structure and software we're bringing into our business. Now, depending on the context of the conference, you might care more about the software than you do about the marketing or vice versa. But the idea is that you have to look at every single presentation and say, how much attention does this deserve? And then you've got to go to the speaker and say to them, say, hey, uh, you know, how long do you, do you, do you need to, to deliver this? And usually there's a bit of a wrangle between how long you think it's worth and how long they think they need. But the truth is that it should be a collaborative process. And when you're sitting making your presentation, you need to work out your A to Z point. And that the problem with just saying A and, get, and saying Z is that you might not have enough data behind to really resonate with the audience. So then you've got to work out, well, how much do I need to tell them? in order to make sure that when I get off the stage, you're like, yes, that makes sense. I'll remember that and I'll do that. And if you find out that it's two stories are going to take five minutes each, then you know that you've got a five, 10 to 15 minute presentation, right? And that's how long you need. And if they say to you, you've got a 45 minute slot, you should go back to them and say to them, guys, I'd love to take the 45 minute slot, but the topic you've given me deserves 20 good minutes. So let's work on that. What are some little known things that are common or that you've seen as common between uh, speakers and leaders that potentially our listeners won't even think about, but you think are vitally important to deliver a fantastic message? Well, the one thing I want to do is kill a misconception up front. Every presentation trainer in the world, every idiot presentation trainer in the world talks about the Moravian myth. The idea that, you know, only 5% of what you say is verbal. And actually, you know, 85% of it is body language. I mean, or 70% or whatever the number is. I mean, it's complete, utter hogwash. This is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it, it's like me turning around and saying, you know... Hogwash is a good word. Yeah, hogwash. <laughs> we don't use the word hogwash anymore. That's hogwash, old chap. <laughs> but really, if I turned around and said, hey, I shagged your wife, uh, but I, I did it with a nice, happy uh, smile, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's nice. He was smiling at me, therefore it's a nice story. You know, it would be terrible. But equally, if I turned around and said, you know... Um, 
uh, something, uh, you know, fantastic. Hey, dude, you just won the lottery. Congratulations, you're a billionaire. You know, ultimately, actually, what you'd probably remember is the billionaire. So this is a terrible, terrible thing to think about. Your body language can be important and how to utilize it is is great and we do focus on that. But really, 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 the most important thing you can say in a presentation is what you're here to say, right? Your words must stay afterwards. So Kevin, just a quick question for you. I mean, if there was one thing that all these guys leave with that come through your, your training, I mean, what would that one thing be that they can easily apply in any talk that they give so the one of the biggest things that people leave with is i, I know you guys talked about it a couple of episodes ago is the care believe no do giving them a reason to care giving them uh, a reason to believe telling them what they need to know and telling them what they need to do is that you don't have to start your story from scratch there is a formula that you can use to make your story perfect and it doesn't take a lot of effort you just need to know that structure in order to put package that story in the right way so I guess when it comes to training, there's no one size fits all solution. And I think many of our listeners will be having different problems when it comes to putting presentations together or potentially telling a story. Um, so what are the common problems that you see and how does your training help solve those problems for our listeners? Yeah, you know, I actually think you hit the nail on the head here. One of the problems that we face is that people went at some point in their career in a presentation training course and they think, well, I've done the course, I know everything. But the truth of the matter is, depending on what you're working on at a particular time, you know, if you want to generally improve your sales presenting, then there, there's certain training that you have to do around that form of, of presentation. But if you're a CEO, you know, and you could maybe go to a boredom stairs training class for that or pitch, pitch perfect um, class for that. But if you wanted to uh, be a CEO delivering a great presentation to a big group, then maybe what you need is the executive one-on-one coaching. It's a, you know, the, the problem will dictate the type of training you need. Yeah. 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 We go back to say training for sports. Uh, running is, you get sprinting, there's jogging, there's all these different kinds of things. So different training uh, will get you different results. It just depends on what you're trying to get at. That's it. Right. So if you'd been to, uh, if, you, if you were a sprinter and you'd been to sprinting training, then you decided to run a marathon. Well, then you couldn't just say, oh, well, I've done running training before. So I'm totally fine. You'd, you'd want to change and evolve that. I mean, there's so many. Like we, we uh, for example, the one thing for us is um, we've realized that different organizations have different voices. So we have what we refer to the voice of. Uh, presentation training. So for example, the voice of Hollard or the voice of Standard Bank. And that is where we work with their induction teams. And when people arrive at the organization uh, for the first time and they're going through their induction, we actually kind of teach them how Standard Bank speaks. I mean, we've not done it for Standard Bank per se, but that's the kind of vehicle that we want to do is we want to say, how do we change the, the narrative that people utilize in their organization so that when you get somebody speaking to you, just like you want your adverts to be consistent, you want your presenters to be consistent. So that's a whole different use case around uh, around training that we would have obviously have to create different training for. Yeah, yeah. because corporate speak isn't corporate speak. Every company has their own lingo, their own lexicon, everything. So if we you tap into that and train the guys to be able to get that message, it's like media training that a lot of corporate guys need to do, which uh, are, is they, they take them through uh, different kinds of principles of this is what we're, we're about, but that's, it's, it's specific to this business. Yeah, I guess the, the kind of key point that we're landing here is that if you're listening to this right now, you can do better, right? It's like regardless of whether you think you're an eight or a five, there's always room for improvement, hence why this <laughs> training is such an important subject to cover. So I've been a professional speaker for 14 years and I've owned a presentation company for 20 years. And last year in December, I went to a speaking coach because you have to get better at the things you think you're good at. That's where the improvement really matters the most. So if you think you're a good presenter, 
Well, then push harder, push further, become a better speaker. You need to push yourself further in your areas of, of, of greatness. And um, I think I'm a good speaker, but I certainly think that there's more I can learn. And actually, what is really, really nice is the, the guy who I worked with, a guy by the name of Connor Neal, what he brought is a very, very different approach to training that I'd thought of before. He gave me different tools into my armory, into my toolbox, some of which the guys have seen me use on multiple occasions. And I'm so thankful. But at first, when I kind of went to the seminar and I realized there was a presentation coach there, my first thought was, what do I want to sit through a presentation coach for? But five minutes into the session, I actually sat down and wrote in my journal that day, like I'm going to focus on learning. And five minutes into the session, I was like, holy crap. This is amazing. I can take away so much from this session. So if you think you're good at something, then push to be better. And again, it's all about who you benchmark yourself against. If there's one thing you take from this presentation is make better benchmarks. If you think you are good because you are this, then find out who is the absolute best in that space and always make sure your measurement. So measure yourself as a driver against David Coulthard or Michael Schumacher or whoever. When you think about the change you can make in someone as a result of speaking to them, I think it's important not to waste that chance, right? Because you think that you're a 10 when you're actually a seven. Do you know what yes, I mean? Yes, keep learning. Always. I just, I, I was laughing because when Rich went into his mind, see, but this is, the more you do it, the better you will get at it. I promise you. So I don't, you, you probably didn't even notice when you said the one thing you should take away from this presentation as opposed to this podcast. Yeah, yeah you can see, creature habit. Right, but it is. But the more you do it, you, you get into this mojo and uh, even from a, so I practice comedy out loud constantly when I'm on stage and the, 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 what, the parts that, or the, gags that I do a lot of it goes into autopilot and all of a sudden I'm reaching the end where I'm going to smash the punchline and it's like I've been driving down a highway and I've missed all these off ramps I was like how the hell did I get here and there's a crowd in front of me just because I've got into this beautiful flow but the more you do it the better you get at it right and that is training right you talk about practice makes perfect but you need to train and learn more as you go along yeah, if you think you're a good presenter, uh, ask yourself how many times you feel that you've got into that flow, that zone. There's something that happens mm. to all great presenters during great deliveries where you just feel like you're running the, on a, not a bad autopilot, but a beautiful autopilot. Oh. You feel that the presentation is guiding you and that you're just in perfect synchronization and you're not thinking and you're just working. And the truth is you can deliver a great presentation, but you're still thinking about what am I saying next? What am I doing? What's going on? That means you've still got a ways to go. And so you can stand in front of a group and feel that you're completely in the flow. And also that when you've left, you've made sure that not only did you deliver a good story, but you, you know, you delivered um, a, a good message as well. Once, once you realize you got those two things in perfect orchestra, the delivery and the messaging, well, then maybe you can uh, pull it back a bit. But I still think we should always be pushing further. Yeah, and whatever you do, avoid the okay plateau, right? Josh Four, uh, F-O-R-E, wrote a book called Moonwalking with Einstein. And he was a Rolling Stone journalist who went out to cover a story that uh, came across his desk of the World Memory Championships or the Memory Olympics, where guys take like three or four decks of cards and they have to just remember all the cards in order, forwards and backwards. And he went up to the guy afterwards. He said to him, dude, this is amazing. The guy who won, he said, this is amazing. When did you know you had this talent? The guy said, it's not a talent. I can teach you. She said, really? So the guy decided, okay, I'm going to try learn this. And he was saying that, you know, at first he got from like remembering two or three, four cards to remembering 20 cards relatively quickly. But then it got to the point where he was getting to 25, 26, and he was really, really good, but he wasn't getting further. And his coach said to him, hey, man, you've hit the okay plateau. You've hit the plateau where you, you feel like you're so good at this that actually you're not pushing yourself further. He says, what you have to do is break yourself. What you need to do is you need to start, um, go for, try to remember 40. 
right? And you'll fail. And so the guy tried to remember 40 cards and he couldn't even remember 15. And then he said, but no, keep trying to remember 40. Remember 40, then he could remember 16. Then he could remember 21, 25, and then he could remember 30. And the idea is it's not about repetition. It's about actively pursuing greatness. So always want to be pushing yourself further and further and further. And the, the, the OK Plateau kills all steps. When you get good enough at something, it stops you from trying to break things to learn further. And I also think that's a mindset, though, right, of everything. If you are OK with doing that in one area of your life, you need to be OK with doing it in other areas of your life. For example, so, so the way I keep pushing myself from a training perspective and getting better at, generally speaking, is doing it in different uh, platforms. So whether it's speaking or facilitating or comedy or whatever that is, doing it different way, they're, they're, you're still standing on stage speaking and saying stuff, but it's, you've got different mandates through all of them, right? It's like the standing sideways principle. So if you can surfboard and skateboard and wakeboard and sandboard, you're probably going to be uh, better equipped to snowboard if you've never done that before because you understand that principle. So the more you can get better at those and guaranteed that because I can snowboard better now, I can more than likely surf better or wakeboard better, whatever it is, because that's the principle. They're all connected, even though they're still different uh, disciplines. So that concludes it, guys. Thank you for checking out this episode. Thank you. And in the next episode, we're going to be catching up on the power of perspective. Till next time. And remember, if you would like to save your audiences from boredom and for all your leadership needs, check out msnglnk.com.